Glad you're joining with us this morning on this Father's Day to worship together. I'm Dale Medgett, one of the pastors here, and we've been working our way through the book of 1 John. And this morning we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 4. There's sermon notes on the web you can take a look at in order to kind of keep up with us. But I'd like to read to you just a little bit of that fourth chapter, and then we'll break it down and look at it in more detail. John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Father God, as we open your word this morning and as we try to understand what you would be saying to us about love, we just pray that you would help us to hear your spirit speak. We thank you on this Father's Day that we can come to you as our Heavenly Father, the one who models everything that love should be, that fatherhood should be. And we pray that you would teach us this morning some of that. So we pray that you'd be with us and guide us in our thinking this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we said, happy Father's Day. For all you dads out there, it's great to have you joining with us. Uh, perhaps in the morning, perhaps in the afternoon, perhaps it's already Tuesday for you. But uh, if you had a busy Father's Day, I trust it was a good one. Uh, for those of you that aren't fathers, well then, happy summer. At least that's what they taught me in school, was the 21st of uh, June. And uh, we know it's uh, give or take, but anyway. Happy Father's Day, happy summer, and this morning a passage about God who loves us with a warm Father's love. So there's the bridge into the passage and away from all that stuff. Anyway, this morning we're looking at uh, 1 John 4. And John is going to give us a theology of love. In fact, in uh, John 4, to 4 chapter 4, verse 7, to chapter 5, verse 3, he is going to use the word love 32 times in those few verses alone. I mean, I would say that's a lot. It's uh, probably five or six more than that last Valentine's card you gave. But we're thinking about one verse especially, and it's when he puts love into this kind of strange context. And he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. 
And I was sitting there and I was thinking about that this week, and I was wondering if he's even right. Uh, perfect love drives out fear. Um, as a dad, I love my kids. We've got two daughters. And I think the more I love them, the more I fear for them. The more I want their best, the more I worry about stuff happening to them. And I think there is that in all of us, that when we love something, there is this fear that something bad will happen. Yeah, I mean, as it turns out, both our daughters are in transition. They're uh, moving out of the city that they're in to take new jobs in other cities. They're selling their homes. They're um, moving away. They're, they're in this process. And, you know, I fear, are they making the right decisions? Is it going to go well for them? Ah, when they were little, maybe I feared differently. I would say now I have a concern. You know, that's a low-grade fear. But, you know, all the uncertainty in the world, the more we love something or someone, the more we fear bad things happening. Now, if uh, you were to give me a million-dollar sports car, I probably would fear getting in an accident or getting hit with hail like we had the other week. I mean, we buy insurance, we say, for peace of mind, but that's just a euphemism for absence of fear. So does perfect love really cast out fear? And I think most of us do have fear in love. I mean, if you want to uh, dispute with me, pause the tape here for a second. Uh, just push the button on the computer there. Talk to the person that you're with. And uh, what's your experience? Does perfect love cast out fear? Uh, if you're by yourself, well, just choose one of your other personalities and talk to them. I'm sure they will answer back. But be sure and come back when you're done. So this morning we're looking at this idea that perfect love casts out fear. I think it really is true if we understand it the way John means it. And I think it applies in three different very practical aspects of our life. And so I invite you just to join in and think about these three things. How can we move closer to experiencing that absence of fear in these key areas of our lives? And we need to start with that relationship with God. So our first point this morning is that we need to love God without fear. And a few verses um, that will be on the screen for you. This is how we know that we live in God and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And this is how love is made complete among us, that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, in that context, you may have a second problem. Not only does uh, fear and love, can't they go together? Uh, we're going to look at that. But the other thing is, it says, don't fear. Um, and it really implies, don't fear God. And if you've been around the Bible a bit, you may react, well, well hang on a second. I thought that we were to fear God. I mean, I could have chosen one of a dozen different passages, but I chose one from Peter, where he says, show proper respect to everybody, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. And it's this idea of fearing God. You know, if, if we love God, 
shouldn't there be some fear in that if it comes to God? Didn't Peter say that? And, you know, I've said it before, but I need to be reminded of it, is that fear God, when you take that apart, it can't just be fear and God any more than if you take apart the word butterfly, you get butter and fly. Um, that's not going to get you what you had at the start. There's a sense when they come together, the meaning shifts a little bit. And when it says fear God, there's a sense of holy awe and love. And it's a both end of those coming together. That God is majestic and holy and there's an awesomeness about him and an awe that we should be filled with. And yet he's also our loving father. And we come and we love him. And you probably noticed when I read the verse, I actually cut off the end of it. It doesn't just say uh, perfect love drives out fear. It says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. And I wonder this morning if I just gave you this test, if I said God is and you had to put an ending to it. One word. What word would you choose? Biblically, you could choose a number of words. I hope you chose one. You could have chosen holy. You could have chosen just. But the most common word, and the one that John used twice in that passage I read at the beginning, is that God is love. And I think that's the main thing that John is trying to tell us, and he's going to nuance it a couple of ways. But he's trying to tell us about God's love. And I think to really understand it, we have to pair it with that idea of God is holy. Throughout the Old Testament, every time laws were given, it was do this because the Lord your God is a holy God. And so we need that sense of awe along with that sense of love. And it's that two together. It's not fear. But it is a sense of love with awe with mixed in it. And I think that's all in the back of John's mind because of how he finishes that sentence about perfect love casting out fear because fear has to do with punishment. In other words, we know that our sin offends God's holiness and we fear punishment. And I mean, I just kind of wonder, is that true of you this morning? It's probably true of me. Um, do I fear God in the sense that we often use the word fear? In other words, am I scared that he doesn't love me because I'm such a sinner? Am I scared that he doesn't love me because I'm not the person I should be? Maybe this morning you got a great Father's Day card if you're a father. Probably you didn't get one if you're not. But if you did and you think, oh, the card is so beautiful, but I am such a miserable father. You know, I, God wants me to be a spiritual head of my family. He wants me to model his love to my kids, and I just fail again and again. Or maybe this morning as a mom you feel that, or as a grandparent, or as a child of parents. Uh, you just feel like, I don't live up to that. And I would say that's a really, really healthy response. And we would fear, except God has done three things. The first one he's done is he's given us his presence in the person of his Holy Spirit. And John says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his Spirit. And God shows his love by coming and living within us, among us, with us. 
And we often tell our kids, you know, at some point you need to ask Jesus to come into your heart. And for literally minded kids, which is everybody under 10 at least, uh, that must be a kind of a strange concept. It's sort of like a salmon swimming upstream, this Jesus in our heart thing. And the Bible actually doesn't really talk about that. It talks about accepting Jesus' offer of forgiveness and inviting the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. Yeah, since God's a trinity, eh, probably both are right. It's just not the image the Bible uses. But what the Bible talks about is that God comes in the person of his Holy Spirit, and he comes and he lives with us. He lives in us. And that's the first reason not to fear, is that God is not out there. He's in here. And he's in here, secondly, because he has given us the forgiveness in the person of his Holy Spirit, in the person of his Son, Jesus. And John says, we've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them. And the reason that God can come and live in us is not because I've been so good or you've been so good. Not because we've done so much stuff, but because Jesus Christ has died for our sins. We're all failures with God but Jesus has come and represented us in dying. And his death defeated sin and his resurrection defeated death. And now he offers us this gift of forgiveness. And only if we accept that offer of forgiveness can the Holy Spirit come and live within us. And all of that, thirdly, is because he loved us without preconditions. Again, it's not because, you know, Jesus sent came into this world to die for us because we were so good. In fact, the Bible's pretty clear. We were pretty bad. But God loved us without preconditions. John says we love because he first loved us. Paul in the book of Romans says God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so God's perfect love in coming to us before we deserved it for dying for us when we didn't deserve it, for coming to live with us when we still don't deserve it, shows us why our love for God should get rid of our fear of his anger or his judgment. And we shouldn't fear God in the sense of fear we use in other contexts. We should have a holy awe. We should have an intense love because God has done so much for us. And then John says, if that's true, there's an implication to that. That's the second point this morning. And the implication is because we are loved by God and we can love God without fear, we should love others without fear. And he says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever doesn't love God doesn't know God because God is love. And since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. And again, John draws the implication of God loving us to mean that we should love others, and I think he gives three reasons again for that. And the first is that love is modeled by God. See, I imagine in your life there are people that are hard to love. They could be family, they could be co-workers, they could be neighbors, they could be your senior pastor. Only because you are such a nice person are they still alive and unscarred. 
well, okay, maybe it's not quite that bad, but, but don't we all have people in our lives that just tolerating takes a lot of godly energy? And to actively love them not only seems like not necessary, it actually seems impossible. And yet John says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live for him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And God modeled love in sending Jesus for us when we were still far away from him, when some of the people in this world will never accept that offer of forgiveness, when they will never turn to him, God still loved them. And I just think that's the reality of loving the unlovely, is they may never accept your love. They may always reject it, and they may continue to persecute it. Paul says in Romans, do not repay anyone evil for evil. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. And, and Paul says in there these kind of two conditions. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. He's saying things aren't always going to go well when we try to love people. And the question comes, well, then where do I find the strength to do that? I don't like getting rejected. Everybody's built to reject rejection, the old song said. And How do we find the strength to do that? And that's John's second point. Not only did God model love for us, but love itself comes from God. And he says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. And I think the challenge with the life that we live is that too often... We rely on our own strength to love people. I'm going to love that person if it kills me or them. And sometimes it does. But we're called to love with God's love, in his strength, with his wisdom and discernment. And almost every wedding I do, I tell the same story at. And it's a story of love. And I'm trying to talk to a couple about how do you stay together for 40, 60, 80 years uh, well, the first thing is don't die. But the second thing is you also have to love each other. And that can be a challenge. And so I tell the story about walking along and seeing the stream, and it's a beautiful stream, and you kind of think, I wonder where the stream comes from. And you go back, and there's this little lake, and you think, well, that's a cool little lake, but surely that lake will run dry if that stream keeps running out of it. So you hike around the back of the lake, and there's these cliffs there and falling off a cliff is this waterfall and the water to feed that lake comes from above and I think that's an illustration of love in the Bible I think it's this idea that love doesn't flow out of us it flows through us to others but it comes from God it's not only modeled by God it's given by God and Sometimes it's not that easy to let that love throw, flow through us to unlovely people in our lives. But the third thing John says is that the way we love others is sort of like a spiritual thermometer of our spiritual health. It shows us our spiritual growth. And it says we love because he first loved us. And whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. 
And whoever doesn't love their brother and sister who they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's saying if we have struggles with this idea of love, it's telling us something about our relationship with God. It's telling us that maybe we haven't received as much of God's love as we need in order for it to overflow into other people's lives. Jesus told this parable about a man who owed like a gazillion dollars. And uh, he went to the guy he owed the money to and he fell at his feet and just said, I just can't repay you. You might as well put me in jail now. And the guy said, ah, what the heck, I forgive you. And then the same man who was just forgiven this gazillion dollars finds some guy that owes him like 15 bucks for lunch and grabs him by the throat and throws him in jail. And, and Jesus says, you know, if you can't forgive the little, it's because you have not experienced the forgiveness of the big. And what John is trying to say in this is love is only modeled by God. It not only flows from God through us, but it's a, a clue about our relationship with God. And, and if there's fear in love, fear of rejection, fear of this person uh, you know, changing and we're not able to hate them anymore, whatever it is, said, you know, love is where we don't fear the person close to us but can love them. And then the third thing he says is if we can be loved by God and love God, if we can love others around us, then we will be able to love the world without fear. And John expands this to this world level. And he says, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. And John says we need to learn to love the world. It's a little confusing because sometimes it says, you know, God loved the world so much he sent his son, and then it says don't love the world or the things in the world. And there's an unhealthy kind of love of the world where we want what's in the world, and we're not discerning of whether it's good or bad. But John says we need to love the world in that positive sense that God loved us. And he has no illusions about that. He knows it's controlled by the spirit of the Antichrist. He knows that Satan is the ruler of this world, that Jesus came and defeated him on the cross. But he's still at work. He lived under the Roman Empire. He knows what evil is. And he still says, love the world. Now, he knows the world is not going to listen to us. It's, he says, you know, Satan is at work and the world listens to Satan better than it listens to God. You only have to listen to the news to hear that that's the truth. And, and we live in this overlapping of the ages where, where things are getting better. God is coming into his world. Jesus has died for the sins of the world. You see amazing things happen. But at the same time, you see amazing evil going on. And Jesus told this parable about a man who had a field and he sowed some wheat in the field and then someone came and sowed some weeds in the field and they both started to grow up and you could barely tell them apart at first and, and the servants came and said, do we pull the weeds up? And he said, no, no, let them both grow to maturity. Then it'll be obvious which is which and then we'll harvest. And I think that's a picture of the world that we live in 
that things are going to be getting better all the time, things are going to be getting worse all the time, and when that tension becomes too great, God will break in at the end of time. Until then, we live in the overlapping of the ages. We live in the both land of evil and good. We live in this world, and we are to love it in spite of that. In spite of the fact that we're persecuted for being Christians. In spite of the fact that the government doesn't seem to understand us. In spite of the fact that other groups don't understand us and persecute us. I mean, think of it this way. If we were not persecuted by the government, it would be because we were no different than the government, and I'm not sure that's my highest goal in life. If I am not persecuted by some groups, it's because I am no different than those groups, and that is definitely not my highest goal in life. But we have a few options when it comes to the world, and we have these options of how do you deal with evil and good in the world. And, and the first one is we can withdraw, we can just pull back, and we can live in our own fortress mentality. Or secondly, we can just conform, we just go along, we just become like the rest of the world, we fit in. If we never face any persecution, that's probably the option that we've chosen. People don't know that we're any different. Or thirdly, we can just ignore it. Yeah, yeah, the world's evil, but you know, I'm doing my thing. Or fourthly, we can be agents of change and transformation and reconciliation in this world. And I think that's what we're called to do. When John says, love the world, he's saying we are called to speak the truth with love. We're called to speak about peace, and we're called to speak about justice, and we're called to care for the environment, and we're called to love brothers and sisters who look differently than we do. We're called to love people who think differently, who act differently, who live differently. But we speak the truth in love. He said, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone into the world, and we see that today. And because we don't start from the same place in our thinking that much of the world does, we don't end up at the same place. We live a different life. We have different beliefs. We have different understandings. And so we are persecuted because the world listens to its own voice not the voice of God. And we remember that the Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. And, and John's saying you can love the world, you can love the people, because the, the evil is not in the people so much as it's in the systems, and it's in the spiritual realm. And we love and he says, and in loving, you will begin to overcome the evil. He says, dear children, you are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And he's saying we can love the world and we can begin to be change agents, agents of reconciliation because God's love flows through us to the world. And it begins to affect it. And he says in that verse, greater is the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And he's thinking back there to a story in 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, I don't know if you remember the story or not, but it's the story of Elisha. So there was Elijah, then Elisha. They were prophets at the time of the kings, maybe 200 years after King David. 
and they're in a town called Dothan. And Elisha's there with his servant. And the king of Aram is fighting against the Israelites. And they get caught up in it by accident, more or less. And it says in 2 Kings 6, The king of Aram sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. And they went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of Elisha got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do, the servant asked. And that's the story of our lives. We see the world in all its brokenness. We see all the challenges that are there. And it just feels like we're surrounded by this spiritual darkness on every side. And the question comes, what do we do? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And parenthetically, the servant goes, uh, not quite, there's you and me, and there's them. And then it says, And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. All the forces of good in the spiritual realm were there. All the servant could see was the effect of evil in the world. But when Elisha opened his eyes, he saw that God was at work in that situation. And I think sometimes it just feels like the world is spiraling out of control. I get that. We're in the midst of the COVID thing. We've got all kinds of stuff happening with our governments, with persecution in all kinds of different places and all the challenges that are there. It seems like the world is spiraling out of control and we fear for our future. We fear for our church. We fear for our kids. We fear for ourselves. We fear for the future of Christianity. And John reminds us, God's power is greater than the power of evil in this world. And because of that, perfect love casts out fear. Fear of God's anger, fear of others' response close to us, fear of the world, and is it going down the ramp to wherever? Fear of the world and its sinfulness, fear of the world and its persecution. As we close this morning, I just kind of wonder, what could you do this week in these three areas? So the first one, we talked about loving God, and the question comes this morning, have you made peace with God? Have you accepted his offer of forgiveness? And if you have, are you living in the freedom that that gives us? Are you still fearful that, that God hates you, that, God, that your sin is so great that God could not forgive you? And we need to remind ourselves every day that God is our loving Father, who through Jesus Christ has forgiven us and brought us into relationship with him to the point that his Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And maybe this week you just need to keep reminding yourself that God loves you. Maybe this week it's loving others. Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone that maybe you've just lost contact with and you don't need to forgive them. You just need to uh, reconnect with them. Maybe this morning it's not about, you know, do I phone someone up and say, hey, I forgive you. It's just, I forgive them in, your, in our hearts. And then we just show love to them in some concrete, small way, a card, an email, a call, a post, whatever. And then the third one is, how do we love the world? Have you kind of withdrawn from the world? Maybe you need to educate yourself again on kind of the biblical basis of some of the issues that surround us. 
Maybe we become so angry with individuals that, you know, say the leaders of our city or our country or another country close by, depending on your politics, but we haven't shown God's love in that. Maybe what this week we need to spend more time talking to God about our leaders than talking to other people about our leaders. Maybe we need to be praying for them, like Peter says, you know, honor the emperor. And he was talking about Nero or one of those guys. Paul says, John says to us this morning, God is love. It's the heart of who he is. And God's love comes to us and it casts out any fear we would have of him. And then he says, and it flows through you to others. Those close to you, those that you are in personal contact with. And then it flows through you to the world, the bigger picture, the people you aren't in personal contact with. But the systems, the things that are going on in our world, And John says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This week, in concrete ways, may we experience the love of God in our own lives flowing through us to others around us and in sharing his concern for this world. Father God, we pray that you would just allow us to hear your voice this morning. Allow us, Lord, on this special Father's Day to be reminded of your Father's love for us far greater than any father on earth could ever love. May we experience that afresh this week. Father, may your love flow through us that through us other people may experience your love. And Father, we pray for our world so broken in so many ways. And we pray, O God, that you would be at work in it, that your love would flow, that the good that is there would grow and mature. And we thank you that you are at work in our world And that you are using us to be your agents of change and reconciliation. Go with us into this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.